Yes, God, that's our prayer. We declare that you are worthy. You are glorious. You are magnificent. You deserve the praise. You deserve the honor. You deserve the thanks, God. Uh, you deserve our lives, our possessions, everything we have, everything we are. Lord, you are worthy of it, Father. So we bless you today. Thank you for your mercy uh, that is new today. Thank you for your faithfulness that is great uh, today, uh, God. And so we declare it. We honor it. We are privileged and blessed to be your children, to be your sons and daughters today. And so we pray, Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us again? Would you pour out on us again that we might walk with you and talk with you and follow you in your way? We bless you. We honor you. We praise you. Uh, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning uh, to our guest. Uh, my name is Vincent Carpenter. I serve as one of the elders here at Antioch Waco and serve as director of pastoral care uh, here on our staff. And so it's my honor to share with us today. Uh, Jimmy mentioned uh, our uh, World Mandate fans. We call it NCN Day. Uh, means to light it up. And so uh, I got the privilege to be there. And they, certainly it was a lit up place. Uh, on Friday and all day on Saturday. And some of our friends are here uh, that were part of the NCN Day Conference. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, think about this all the time. We have so many things to do around here at Antioch. There's a ton of stuff. We all come to this, come to that, be a part of this. There's a lot of stuff uh, for we ask. And uh, as a pastor, though, uh, we obviously there's expectations, but, but I don't have to go to this stuff. I, 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 I am privileged to walk with this church family, and I'm privileged to walk with our Spanish brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm aprendo espanol. I'm getting there a little bit there. But not because I have to, but, but it is a joy and it is a privilege. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, as you have opportunities to walk alongside our Spanish brothers and sisters, let's do that. They have a service, 1.30 on Sunday. So I get in there. It is a great, they have, they have it translated into English so you can understand what's going on. But it is a joy and it is a privilege. It is the kingdom of God uh, when we walk together. And so thankful for our, our friends and thankful that we all get to do this together. And so... Uh, today, uh, as we get ready uh, to uh, have our, our message, I, I was reminded in my preparation of a, of a very popular Christian song. Maybe you might be aware of it. The song is called, I Can Only Imagine. Any of y'all remember that song? It's been around a while. Um, that song, uh, Jimmy preached on it some years ago. It's a powerful story. Uh, a gentleman named Bart Millard uh, is the lead singer of a group called Mercy Me, and it's the story of his father. He comes from a very broken family, but eventually his father comes to faith, and, and as his father passes away, he, he's inspired to write this song, okay? And this song is the top-selling Christian song in history. Not just the year it was written, 2001, in history, no song has sold more copies than I can only imagine. Now, today's significance of that story is related to the topic that I'm going to talk about in just a minute, and, and that's related to the release of the song, okay? So, uh, Millard writes this song, and uh, his music producer and some leadership in the Christian community or music uh, industry kind of could tell they thought this was going to be a successful song. They thought, man, this, this is great, the lyrics, the, the theme behind it, they, they anticipated it being successful, now, Millard was an unknown at the time, and so they said, to ensure the success of this song, we want you to give the rights of it to a well-known Christian artist so we can ensure that this is going to be successful. And so what they did, they worked out a deal, and they surrendered the rights of this song to another popular Christian singer named Amy Grant. 
Now, all you millennials, y'all said, Amy who? <laughs> but all the rest of us, I can call myself old, but everybody in my age range, I know y'all know who Amy Granny is, believe it, okay? Uh, very popular Christian singer, and, and so uh, they thought we, this for sure going to be a hit because she's, she's great and going to make it real popular. But through a series of events, Amy Grant released the rights of the song back to Bart Miller. And so, therefore, that was a, quite a sacrifice because, obviously, it's still to this day the highest-selling Christian song. So now we all know it's for the glory of God, but we also know Christian songs make money just like everything else does. And so that was a lot. That was a huge sacrifice that she made. And I feel like she uh, surrendered the rights of that song. She surrendered a lot of personal wealth, a lot of personal acclaim for something greater than her own growth. She surrendered that. Not only that, uh, Miller, Miller became a great Christian artist. And the song not only influenced the Christian community, but the song also was a top-selling hit in the secular community. So her personal sacrifice, her act of surrender, if you will, impacted far beyond anything that she uh, could have done. Now, uh, I share all that because it's related to our topic that I want to talk to us about. We have been uh, this, uh, in this series uh, on uh, union, communion, and partnership, John 17. So today is the seventh and final message on John chapter 17. I bet somebody's thinking, hallelujah, y'all been in John chapter 17 a long time. Since late January, almost two months, we've been, what is the deal on John chapter 17? Okay, well, uh, you've probably heard me preach before. You've heard our other communicators say there is something powerful about repetition. When we say things again and again, God has an opportunity to do something through it. When we see something repeated in Scripture, that is God's way of highlighting. That's God's way of saying, hey, pay attention to this. Everything in Scripture is important. But repetition lets us know there's a sense of urgency to it. There's something we need to draw our attention to. Repetition is the Holy Spirit's way of drawing us in, bringing us close, giving us an opportunity for our eyes to be open to the great things that he has in store for us. So just in case you're tired of hearing just one more sermon on John chapter 17, I want to encourage you to lean in one more time. God may have something for you today that may impact your life, that might change the correction or change the course of your journey with him. Okay? So, uh, this series on John 17, we've called it Union, Communion, and Partnership. Okay? And so, uh, Jimmy taught a number of weeks, McMurray taught a number of weeks. We've been hearing a lot about this Union, Communion, and Partnership. So, just for a few seconds, I'm just going to summarize what we've been talking about. So, this idea of union with God— I kind of summarize it this simple way. Union with God simply means that in these days, we need to be close to God, okay? We need to be close to God. Now, uh, the church I grew up in uh, had a preaching tradition that's called call and response. The preacher would say things and the people would say things back. The preacher would sometimes sing a hymn and people would hymn it back and all these kind of things. So this related to this union with God this morning. The church I grew up in, they used to have these little cadences they would do back and forth. And I don't remember them, all of them, uh, but one particular one just stuck out in my mind. And I want to share it with you. So the preacher would get up and he would say, brothers and sisters. And then all the men would say, yes, sir. 
What that means is you got our attention. What do you want to say? Okay, that's, that's their way of communicating that. And then he would go, if we ever needed the Lord, and then all the women would go in unison, uh-huh. Like, I was like, I, used, I was like, yeah, like, they always was perfect. They just like, on cue, they knew what to say. And he would say, if we ever needed the Lord, uh-huh, then he would say, we need him now. And then everybody would start clapping, hey, man, hallelujah. That was the, the deal. So what that means is, now back then, as a kid, I was kind of like, whatever. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> but at this stage in my life, I'm kind of feeling that now. Yeah. Anybody else out there feel like we need the Lord in this day and age? Yeah. It's not that we don't ever. We always need God. But I think there's a heightened sense of urgency to our intimacy with Jesus. We need him. That's what we mean when we say union, okay? Now, we also talk about communion, union and communion. So not only do we need the Lord, we also need one another. God calls us to himself, and then he calls us one to another. We need connection with one another. In this day and age, not only do we need God, but we also need the body, this is not a time to pull away from the body. This is not a time to pull away from relationships. This is a time to press into relationships. But obviously in this time, there's lots of channels, there's lots of strains. So we have all these natural reasons why we ought to pull away from people. But actually, we need to draw near to people, even if it's challenging in certain ways. I like to think of it this way. Uh, sometimes we uh, don't like a situation. Sometimes we don't like a person. But in this day of communion, you need to think that the person that you like the least could be the person that you end up needing the most. We're in a day we need one another. That's what we mean when we say communion. And then this last word, partnership, simply said, uh, God is on the move. Can you say that with me? God is on the move and he is inviting us to be a part of that. He wants us to have union with him. He wants us to connect to each other because when we connect to each other, then we get to be a part of what he is doing in the earth. Union, communion, and partnership. And that's a part of a bigger archery word that we're looking at in this entire year. You know, if you've been around here, every year we have a word of the Lord. We seek God. What are you saying to us in this year? What direction should we be pursuing? What should we be emphasizing as the people of God? And in 2023, the word is unity. This union, communion, and partnership is to help us to get to be a people of unity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 says that we should uh, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, we're going to study that later in this year, so I'm not going to say much more. But, but, but the goal of all of this is that we be a unified people of God. Now, unity is a great idea. No, nobody wants disunity, do they? Nobody wants chaos and division in the church, do we? we, we it's a great idea. It's God's idea. The problem is, it's just not easy to do. We have all these challenges, and therein lies the reason why we have taken eight weeks, seven weeks, two months, looking at the same chapter. We want the Word of God's wisdom on what it looks like uh, to have unity. Now, today, uh, we're going to wrap up uh, John chapter 17. Now, I'm not going through all 26 verses again. We've already done that, and I'm sure you're thinking, ah, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm 
I'm going to give us just one primary verse that we're going to look at, okay? And that's verse 10 of John chapter 17. Verse 10, John chapter 17 reads this way. It says, and all things that are mine are yours. This is Jesus talking. And yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Jesus says, everything you have is mine, and everything I have is yours. There's this mutual giving back and forth between the Father and the Son and actually the Holy Spirit as well. The Spirit is not mentioned specifically here in John chapter 17, but in chapter 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit is explicitly explained. So this is a triune relationship. They're giving to one another. They're surrendering one to uh, another, okay? Matter of fact, if you read uh, through John 17, uh, over and over and over again, you see the word give, or you see the word gave, or you see the word given over and over again, 17 times. If you look at the read the passage again, you probably saw it as we studied over the last uh, eight weeks. Uh, Verse 2, it says, for you gave me authority. Verse 4 says, the work you gave me to do. Uh, verse 6, it says, you gave me these men that were yours. It's talking about all these different things that they're giving to one another, okay? Now, uh, I said earlier, anything that's repeated has importance to us, okay? So, now, there's only 26 verses in this chapter, and out of 26 verses, it's mentioned 17 times, What that's communicating is this idea of mutual giving, this idea that we call surrender, That's not a casual reference. That's not a a random occurrence. Something being mentioned in one chapter 17 times means it's of cataclysmic spiritual importance. That means we really ought to have our ears over them. He was to say it 17 times. If you told your child to do something 17 times, your head would be about to explode, would it not? You'd be ready for them to listen. He probably, he's ready for us to listen. He's saying it over and over and over, this idea of giving. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are freely giving to one another, or the word I'm going to use today is surrender. They are surrendered one to another. And because they're surrendered one to another, what happens is the Father then is glorified. He's glorified because they're submitted to another. They surrender to each other. That glorifies the Father. The other result is Jesus is now revealed, okay? Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says that the spirit of the age has blinded the world's eyes. People can't see. People can't understand. You say, what's going on in the world? Things seem crazy. The world is upside down. That's because people's eyes are blinded. They do not see it. They're not just, people in the world are evil. They're just blind. They can't see. So here it is, comes back to this word of partnership. Jesus said in chapter, uh, in verse 21, y'all, we studied it last week. He said, Father, let them be one so that they may know. When they see unity, it opens their eyes. Therein, we've been given a tremendous privilege that if we can be unified, if we can be one with another, then the world's eyes are opened. So we can sit around and complain about the world and say everything is crazy, but really we can do something about it. If we can have unity in here, they get revelation out there. That's why he says it 17 times. And the way that that unity happens 
that way that revelation is released so that the world can know we have to surrender. Everybody say surrender. surrender. Okay? Now, surrender is our key, but the challenge is surrender ain't always super appealing to everybody. We, we like to win in American culture. We, we like to be on top of everything. We, we want to control everything. So surrender sounds a little bit like, oh, I don't know about that. Uh, surrender sounds like losing. Surrender sounds like being weak. But the reality is surrender is the kingdom principle, okay? Go back to Amy Grant. She surrendered the rights to something that would have been extremely financially beneficial to her, uh, personally beneficial to her, made her name even bigger and greater, but she surrendered for something bigger, the whole body of Christ being blessed, okay? So, as we talk this morning about surrender, even if it doesn't sound like a great idea, even if it sounds a little challenging, I want us to consider this one idea. This is the way I'm defining surrender. Surrender is giving up something lesser to gain something greater. Surrender is giving up something lesser to gain something greater. I believe as I'm talking this morning, as we're sharing this morning, as we're looking at the Scripture, the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you, pull at you. I call it the unction to surrender something, to let go of something, to give up something. But the good news is, if you're willing to give up something, you actually are going to get something even greater in return. So that's good news for us. Amen? You ought to say hallelujah. hallelujah. All right. Surrender is giving us something lesser to gain something greater. But it starts with the giving first. It don't start with the getting. It starts with the giving. All right? So let's talk. What, what, what is the giving? What's, what's being surrendered here? Let's go to our passage. Verse 2 says, Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. The Father gives Jesus his authority, okay? The Father gives Jesus his authority, okay? Let me uh, give an example of this. I want to introduce you to someone who is very special to me. This is uh, June Carpenter. That's my mom, okay? Uh, I'm 56 now, but even to this very day, everywhere we go, uh, she introduces me as her baby, okay? I'm the youngest of five, so that's, I guess that's where she gets that from. And so I, I felt like a baby at one time. I mean, I was eight pounds and all that, but by the third grade, I was 100 pounds. I wasn't feeling like a baby anymore. By the eighth grade, I was 200 pounds. And by my 10th grade year, I was on the varsity start as a defensive tackle at 260 pounds. And so I didn't feel much like her baby, though. She continually referred to me as her baby, okay? So that wasn't a benefit, but being my size has some benefits. You, you always get to sit in the front seat of somebody's car. <laughs> I, I get offered a lot of free food, which I readily receive. <laughs> Other than sweets these days, I do Weight Watchers, so, I, you know, if you offer me sweets, I, I, I'm supposed to turn it down. Sometimes I don't, but... <laughs> So anyway, it, it, there's perks to being a big guy, okay? But my mom called me her baby. But in 2011, uh, her husband, a boy in 50 years, my father, he passed away. And so my mom was in a little bit of a new season. My father had kind of 
all of their financial life, everything they did, he kind of took care of all that. So now this put my mom in a new season where she's trying to take care of all these things she hadn't really had to deal with. And so my siblings and I, we kind of rallied around her, uh, began to help her, support her, help her move forward with her new life. And after a while, we kind of started figuring out, you know, this, she's by herself now. We're not certain this is working so great. And so we start trying to encourage her. Maybe, Mom, you ought to transition. Why don't you come live with one of us? My wife, Charlie, loved her so much. The day my dad died, she said, if you, please have your mom come live here with us. Okay? And my siblings, we all, we all wanted her to be in a, in a different place. We thought it would be better. But, but she wasn't really, wasn't really feeling that. Okay? She wasn't at that place. Uh, she, you know, she's a country girl, grew up in the country, and, and, and she had her own diet that she liked to eat. You know, and, and we're like, Mom, you know, you're having some health challenges. And, uh, you know, as a group, now, she, she's our authority. This is our mother. But as a group now, we're kind of, we're, and we're older now, and so we have some authority now, you know, in the relationship. And so, so we said, well, let's, let's help Mom eat right. That didn't go so good. But then we, it progressed, though. Some of us say, you know, Mom, you know, she, she lives on her own. This is not so good. We, we start thinking as a group, maybe we need to help her make a transition or even make her make a transition. And by the grace of God, we prayed and we sought the Lord and we felt like the Lord just told us to pause and hold. And I'm grateful that we did that. Because this idea of what I'm talking about is we, we have some authority now. We have the ability to make something happen. We have the capacity to take control of a situation, but we feel like maybe we need to let go of our authority, let go of our control. And so what we did, we released something lesser, our ability to be in control for something greater, which was her dignity, okay? And then in response, she did the same thing. Over time, her health did continue to have challenges, and she, of her own accord, decided, you know, I don't, Maybe I shouldn't be living on my own. And so her and my older sister, they worked out a transition to a care facility that she wanted to be a part of. Now, prior to all this, uh, one of the reasons she didn't want to come live with us, we had offered that, is that the church I grew up in, she taught Sunday school there for literally over 50 years. So she didn't want to leave that, okay, and understandable. So, but now she decides to make this transition, and she does that. And so now I go there and see her. And every time I go to this facility, I have multiple residents come up to me and tell me how wonderful Miss Carpenter is. I mean, she's very outgoing and very gregarious, and she's engaged with everybody in this facility. And after she got over her challenges health-wise, they asked her to leave uh, the facility's Bible study. So now all those 50 years of sending through all that's going. So what happened is she also released something lesser for something greater. She released her independence. But she gained wide influence over a whole community of people. I'm sharing these examples with us because all of us have a place of authority. All of us, no matter where you are, I don't care what your status is, I don't care what your place is in life, everybody in this room has a place where you have some control. Everybody has a place where you can make something happen. And God is saying, why don't you give that control to me? Because I can take that, and I can do way more than what you can do anyway, and I'm going to give you something greater than that in response. God wants us to release the authority uh, that he has given to us. 
So the father releases his authority to Jesus, but let's go on further. He gives him some other things. Let's look at verse 4 and verse 6. Verse 4 says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So uh, the Father gives Jesus the work of establishing the church. He also gives him the disciples, these men, these people whom it's going to be accomplished through. Now, uh, this actually was the Father. Father God, this was his work. He says in Matthew 16, I will build my church, okay? So God has uh, the capacity. He wants to build his kingdom. He wants to build his church, but he gives that responsibility to Jesus, and then Jesus gives the responsibility to the disciples. Twelve men, uneducated men, very broken men. How do they think this is going to happen? Well, they give this authority, banking on the fact, counting on the fact that the disciples are going to realize, we can't do this. We're going to have to surrender this to God and allow him to do it through us. So he banks on uh, everyone walking in surrender to one another, and that's exactly what happens. God is inviting us to consider surrendering what we can accomplish on our own. We can do many things. We have the ability, we have the capacity to accomplish something. Matter of fact, most of us, what we have accomplished in life is probably some of our greatest joys. Most of us are known by what we've accomplished. Many of us make a living and we make life through what we've accomplished. But God is saying, I want you to give that to me because I can do more with it than you can, and I'm going to give you something greater in exchange for your capacity, your ability to accomplish things. I want to give you an example here. I'm now a big sports fan. I love sports, especially football. Any, any football fans with audience participation? If you're a football fan, wave at me. Okay? Uh, so let me ask you. Anybody can answer this question, but I'm, I'm specifically asking the football people out here. Uh, who all has heard of Patrick Mahomes? Okay, so even the non-football people know who that is, okay? That's great. MVP of Super Bowl 57 and famous, and he's a Texas boy too, so that, that's all great too. Um, okay, another question. Who all has heard of Jarek McKinnon? Raise your hand. Only about a dozen hands in there have heard of Jarek McKinnon, okay? And, but let me explain. Let me, I got a picture of here of him. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, he's the teammate of Patrick Mahomes, Okay. So they're in 50, Super Bowl 57. Uh, it's a great game. It's going down to the, to the wire. It's got about a minute to go. So whenever you have these tight games like this and it's really, really neck and neck, generally what happens is whoever is the last person to have the ball typically wins. Okay, last team to get the ball, they score, they win. That's generally what happens, okay? So there's about a minute left. There's enough time for maybe one or two possessions. Kansas City had a ball and then Philadelphia can have the ball. So Kansas City has the ball. They're very close to scoring a touchdown. They give the ball to McKinnon. He's got a clear shot to run into the end zone and score and, and maybe win the game. But then the case is Philadelphia then gets another chance to score. So what McKinnon does is instead of scoring a touchdown, you see him there, he kneels the ball down on the one-yard line. Okay? Now, what's significant about that is this. You've heard of Patrick Mahomes. You're going to know about him. He's famous, but many people call the NFL the not-for-long league. 
NFL fans are not for long. What that means is most people who make it in the NFL don't get to be there very long. Okay, so there's a few great ones like, like uh, Mahomes and Tom Brady. They were there for a long time. But the average NFL player, you get drafted, you make a team, you play one or two seasons, but they draft new players every year. So every year, a younger player and a stronger player and a faster player and a more ability player comes and takes your place. So if you get to the Super Bowl, that's your one shot for fame, okay? So he's got this one shot to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. That would make him immortal, but he gives that up. And the reason why, when he kneels the ball, it lets the clock run out. They kick a field goal, the clock runs out, and now Philadelphia can't get the ball. There's no way for them to win. So what I'm trying to get at is we call surrender giving up something lesser for something greater. McKinnon gives up something lesser, his own personal glory, for something greater, the whole team winning the championship. God has called us. We have the capacity to accomplish something with our lives, to do something, but God wants us to give up our own personal achievements for sometimes there's an opportunity for us to take a back seat and let someone else make an achievement. And actually, everybody is greater in the long run. God wants us to surrender our authority. God wants us to surrender our accomplishments to Jesus. Okay? One last thing. Let's go to verse 11 and verse 12 here. It says, um, I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Twice here he says the same thing. You gave me your name. Now, what what are we talking about? Name is your identity. It's not just your physical letters behind your, 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 your physical spelling of how you call, what you're called by. Your name is your identity. It's who you are. It's, it's, it's what makes you significant. Okay, Uh, most of us outside of Jesus, our name is the greatest thing we have. We we fight to defend our name. It's what makes us important. So our name is a big deal. Our heavenly father is known as the creator, the sustainer, the healer, the deliverer, the mighty warrior. We call him Jehovah, El Shaddai, Yahweh, King of Kings, Lord. He's got all these names. He's got all these ways we, we call him, and he receives glory through his name. So it's, it's significant, it's powerful, it's impactful, and the Father takes all of that, and he gives it to Jesus. He makes Jesus' name higher than his own. Philippians 2.9 says that Jesus was given a name that was greater than any other name. So he took something that was significant, but he gives that to somebody else. Okay, so what does that look like for us? What's, what's the application? What, what is that? How does this name business affect us? Uh, I'm going to share a story of a, a new friend I've made here at church. Last year, I met a gentleman here at Antioch named uh, Chet Foraker. Uh, Chet and his wife, Maria, came to Waco about a year and a half ago, and they've become a part of Antioch. And I'm getting to know Chet in a group I lead called the Kingdom Culture Community, Okay. 
So we want to be a people where everybody loves and serves each other, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of socioeconomic class, regardless of your political views, all these things. So I have a group of people I meet with that are very diverse age-wise, ethnic-wise, political-wise, all these different experiences. And we read books together, pray together, do activities together, and we learn what it looks like. How are people who are very different, how do they love and serve each other? So that's part of our group. And so Chet's uh, in our group, and he and I are actually in a table together. Okay, so I find out that Chet's a football coach, a long time retired now, a long time football coach. So we've got plenty of stuff to talk about, sports, and so we have a good time. But also we really share deeper, and we talk about ethnic issues, and we talk about our lives. And in our journeys together, uh, Chet shares very vulnerably about his childhood. And he shares how uh, his uh, mother was a very godly woman, but he had a lot of challenges with his father. His father uh, 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 throughout his childhood, uh, participated in some very neglectful and hurtful activity that was very hurtful to his siblings, to his mom. Uh, and so that happened throughout his childhood. And there were times where Chet and his siblings would really want to berate their father for the things that were happening. But something very interesting happened that he shared with us. He said, but my mom never let us say a negative word about our dad. Anytime we open our mouth, anytime we complain, anytime we brought up anything, she would stop us immediately. And she trained us and disciplined us and taught us to honor our father, even though there were many instances where you could say he probably didn't deserve that. So uh, this concept of surrender is hugely at play here. Their mom, Chet's mom, surrendered her right to judge her husband. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't held accountable for his action, but her capacity to judge him, to berate his name, she surrendered that. And what did she gain in return? Well, uh, Chet is, and his siblings are followers of Jesus, and over the course of their dad's life, throughout his life, he eventually himself came to know Jesus. And so she surrendered her right to judge. She surrendered her right to berate his name, but she got back a godly family in response to that. We all have opportunities. There's lots of people we have relationship with. We have the opportunity to build up or tear down people's names. We have an opportunity to build up or tear down the name of Jesus, but he is inviting us to surrender the power of our name to make someone else's name greater. The father surrendered his authority. The father surrendered his accomplishments. The father surrendered the power of his name and therein lies an invitation to all of us. We all have something that maybe we can surrender. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our accomplishments. Uh, maybe it's something. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's our abilities. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's health. It could be anything. But I suspect the Holy Spirit will show you what that is. And so we're going to respond to this in a couple of ways. First, uh, in just a moment here, we're going to take uh, communion together. It's going to be a, uh, one of our ways to respond. We're going to look at Jesus' act of surrender one more time. Every time we, we, we take the bread and we, we take the wine, uh, we're remembering that Jesus surrendered his life. He gave up something lesser. He counted his life as lesser so that we could all receive something greater. And so if you have not gotten a communion, let's feel free to do that. We're going to partake of those in here just a minute. And also as we do that, we also want to ask. 
I, I really can't determine what your surrender is. But the Holy Spirit knows what your surrender needs to be. He knows what he's trying to give you, and he wants you to surrender so he can give you. And so while we're doing this, we want you to just ask a simple question. Ask the Holy Spirit. We're going to do this together as a group. What is it that you're asking me to surrender? Now, the way we do that, we just call it waiting on God. We're just going to pray a simple prayer. Ask God, what are you asking me to surrender? And then let's just wait in silence. God speaks to us all kinds of ways. He speaks through his word primarily. You've heard it. Maybe he may bring a specific passage to your mind that communicates to you what he's needing from you. Sometimes he'll remind you of an admonition. Maybe he's already spoken to you about something in the past and he might bring that back to your remembrance. Sometimes God speaks through that still small voice inside of our heart. I call it the unction, that little prompting in your heart. Sometimes we, we see pictures and visual images of things that represent symbolically things that God has speaking. There's various ways he wants to speak to us right now, but we're going to take a moment and give some space for him to do that. Okay, so I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I'm going to ask us to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us what we want to surrender. And then I'm going to leave some silence, and then as we come out of that time, and then I'm going to lead us in taking communion together. So let's pray, and then let's listen to God. So Father God, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you have invited us to surrender to you. And Holy Spirit, we're asking you right now, would you show us what is it that you would have us to surrender? Thank you for speaking to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just wait in silence about 30 seconds. Thank you, God, that you speak to us. Thank you, God, for the invitation to surrender. Thank you, God, for your grace that's available today. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. We bless you. We honor you. Give us the grace to respond now in obedience to the invitation to surrender our lives to you. We pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to read this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It talks about uh, communion, the Lord's Supper. Let's prepare our hearts uh, to take this. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, For I have received from the Lord 
that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Verse 25, it says, In the same way, he took the cup and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the juice together. Father, we thank you for your broken body. Thank you for the blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. Thank you for your gracious, generous act of surrender. We ask for the grace to surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand. Ask our, our prayer teams if you would come to the front. Just one more response and we'll be done for today. Surrender is not typically an easy thing to do. It's challenging. We lose control. And so one of the best things you can do as the Lord has challenged you to surrender some area of your life, probably the best thing you could do is, is to share that, confess that so that someone can pray a prayer of agreement with you so that you can respond to what God is saying to you. So our friends are here and they will be willing to pray with you, encourage you, help you in your journey to surrender to the Lord. Or you may be here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. This whole act of surrender, it starts first with allowing Jesus to come in and take over our lives. We enter into relationship with Jesus. And from there now we begin this journey of allowing him to surrender uh, our, our life, our possessions, whatever we have to him. So if you've never committed your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, you've never asked him to come and take over your life, our friends here will be happy to pray with you, explain that process to you, and help you start a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, feel free to come. If you're watching by stream, feel free to click in, and someone will be happy to communicate with you, respond to you, help you uh, in the journey of giving your life to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've got some other need. Maybe I didn't address what you are challenged with today. Maybe I didn't speak about your need today. God is here. The Spirit of God is here and he can meet you. He can help you. Whatever it is you need, whatever your challenge is, he is willing. So there are people that are here. There are people up on the landing on the second level who will be happy to pray with you. So whatever need you have, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, if you want to confess and share what God is challenging you to surrender to him, now is the time. Please come.